0: Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast with Dr. David O. O'Gaga. So this morning I'm not actually preaching, I'm going to be teaching. Is that alright? So there is need for you to understand so that when people talk, you don't get confused. That's one of the reasons I do the things I do. Amen. Amen. See, Jesus went about preaching and teaching. He was combining the two things. When he go to the temple, he actually teaches. When he go out, he preached. Is that all right? Preaching is actually a proclamation, but teaching is giving instruction so that people can be properly equipped. We ought to do more teaching in the church and preaching outside. Look at it: repent here for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is preaching. It's a proclamation. When you preach, you are proclaiming something. You are sent to make an announcement. But when you are teaching, you are giving instructions. You are breaking down information for people to comprehend. So essentially, you find when Jesus goes to the temple, he teaches that when he goes out, he does what? He preach. So I'm going to be teaching this morning. And I'm going to be combining it the spiritually, The Battle of Armageddon. Now just turn with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation number 16. There's a need for you to understand some of these things because people come to you and they told you that the Battle of Armageddon is gonna come when Jesus will come and then there's gonna be a warfare that will take place. By implication, they bring Jesus into a literal situation where he's going to be carrying arms like militants. And then you have to fight with the other camp as well. Jesus is spirit. We don't use literal weapons for war. Is that okay? Now get this passage in Revelation 16. Let's read from verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frost came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophets. For they asked the spirit of devils working miracles which go forth unto all the kings of the earth. And I want you to understand that. And of the whole world. To gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I came as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keep his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in Hebrew tongue Amagedom. Is that alright? Now, watch verse 16. And he gathered them. What does it mean, the he? You can go back and find out the he. is talking actually about the spirit mustering together the kings of the earth. Is that okay? Are you listening? So, we find a picture here i been painted. I'm going to explain. But let me just look at it for you. We find a picture here been painted that there's a kind of spirit that is gathering or moving the kings of the earth to come together to wage war, as it were, against Christ. Now, one thing people don't understand when they read this scripture is that the book of Revelation have nothing to do Dragons and beasts and crocodiles and reptiles. Is that okay? We don't understand symbolism when we read the Bible. I asked somebody over there when we were discussing, I said, How does heaven look like? There's a street of gold. I said, well, I'm going to tell you something that you don't understand about heaven as well. In heaven, there are a lot of reptiles and crocodiles and all manner of tripping things. He said, how do you say that? I said, that's what Peter saw. Am I right? The Bible says a basket was descending from heaven and the midst of the basket were all manner of what reptiles and beasts. So look at the kind of things you're going to find in heaven. But that is not the truth. Those things were symbolic of the Gentile nations who have not yet been what? Converted. When people read the book, they don't know and they don't understand what God is saying. So they take it in such a literal sense and then they do a serious damage to the word of God. are you done with me? So you're not going to go up to the throne there in heaven or somewhere and they are going to be seeing crocodiles, reptiles and then iguanas and then you see all these uh, boas. That's not the kind of thing you're looking for. The already man is a beast. Is that okay? Now if you watch it the Bible said these spirits I think we need to go down before I come back to this passage, but let me just say one more thing on that. Look at it. Three unclean spirits like frogs came out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now I'm going to explain this to bit. dimension of the move of the spirits. Not God's spirit now, but the dragon to the beast and then to the false prophet. I will explain that much later. So let's just quickly go down. But here we are told they are gathering together. Who are the people coming together now? The kings of the earth. Now watch this. The book of Revelation is a revelation about Jesus, not about the devil. You don't read the book and see devils, you read the book and see Christ. Because the Bible tells us the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he gave to his son. The word revelation is Apocalypse. An apocalypse means to open what is covered. That means what people don't know about Christ is what is now to be explained to them. And watch this. The man that wrote this book was a disciple and the apostle of Jesus Christ, who he joined himself, and he was banished to the island of Patmos. And it was at the time of the reign of Domitian, a Roman emperor, that he wrote this book. Now he wrote this book to strengthen the Christians who were facing persecution. The Christians can understand but the unbelievers cannot understand. It was a language that was coded for believers. Because we were facing a lot of persecution and they were kind of getting discouraged. and then the revelation of Jesus Christ came unto them. Is that okay? So most times that's why I say kings of the earth I, I'm not going to go into all of that, but a kind of alliance between the Roman Empire and some other nations, they were all coming together to see how Christianity had been oppressed and obliterated from the Roman Empire. That is what they were trying to do. And Paul, I mean, John was writing there saying, Don't you worry. No matter what all of these kings are trying to do, Christianity will still prevail. That is what he was writing about. It has nothing to do with what is going to come tomorrow. It's already done. Is see, of yesterday to the end, forever? How many of you understand what I mean? Faith. Faith is now. Remember that. Faith is not tomorrow. Faith is now. Now when he saying, "Look at verse, look at 15." Behold, I come as a is Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. What will make you walk naked? What will make you get into this? The realm of discouragement because of the persecution that was going to come. Remember this? They came to the point that they said the emperor of Rome has to be worshipped. Now, there was a statue of the emperor of Rome, and they said everybody must bow down to this emperor. Exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. Now, John was trying to make them understand that for those of you who are refusing to bow down, don't you worry. And Jesus is saying here, yeah, don't you worry. I'm going to come, and I'm going to bless you. Just keep your garment. What's your garment? Your righteousness, your faith. Are you there with me? And that is the greatest thing, and I'm going to make you see why this is so important as we progress. Now, let's read something else. Let me give you some historical perspective. Because in the Hebrew language it's called Amargidon. Okay? Now, turn to the book of Joshua chapter 17. Joshua 17. In Joshua 17, let's look at verse number 11. And man had in Issachar, and in Asher Bethlehem, or Bisham, and our towns, and of and of towns, and the inhabitants of Dor, and the towns, and the inhabitants of Edo and the towns, and the habitants of Tamak and the towns, and the habitants of Megiddo and the towns, even three countries. Now, Megiddo was a city of the Canaanites. Joshua, did you find it there? Joshua 17, verse 11. Am I right? Okay. Now, Megiddo was a city of the Canaanites, and it fell as a lot unto Manasseh. Is that okay? Now watch this. The first thing I wanted you to understand was it was a very difficult territory to possess. After the portion of Canaan had been shared, Megiddo fell unto the tribe of Manasseh as it were. But they just couldn't get it because this place was completely fenced up and it was so terrible for them to penetrate and win this city even though it had been slaughtered unto them so there was a battle there. In fact, there was a continuous battle in this place to possess this city. Is that okay? Alright. Turn to Joshua 12, verse 21. Just to make you see. He said, The king of Tamak won. The king of Megiddo won. Remember what we read in in the first portion of chapter 17. He said, The inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns... They were the portion of which present of Manasseh. Praise the Lord. Now if you read at the book of Judges, chapter 5 verse 17 you are going to find that Deborah, that woman, and Barak this is where they fought Caesarea. The very valley of Megiddo. When they said the went to war, it was right in this place as well. So Israel had a concert war on this particular portion of land. Amen? So like I said, it was originally a Canaanite city. It took a very long time to take possession of it. And it was rebuilt by Solomon. Now, let me give that scripture to you. 1st Kings chapter 9. 1st Kings chapter 9. Amen. Look at verse 15. And this is the reason for the left quick in Solomon raised. For to build the house of the Lord, and his own house, and Milo, and the water of Jerusalem and Harbo, and Megiddo, and Geza when it was finally captured and taken over, in the days of Solomon, Solomon had to rebuild this city. And the Bible says that is one of the reasons he was leaving people. Megiddo was part of the portion that he needed to rebuild. Hallelujah. But there is something about this Megiddo that I want you to understand. So you turn very quickly to 2 Kings 2. 23, 2nd Kings chapter 23. Let's look from verse 29 to 30 of 2nd Kings 23. In his days, Pharaoh Macor, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, with the river of the divide, if you will. And King Josiah went against him. Against who? against pharaoh Nepal, the king of egypt and he slew him at megiddo slew who he didn't slew the pharaoh josiah was slew when he had seen him and his servant carried him in a chariot dead from megiddo and brought him to jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulchre and the people of the land took jehuaz the son of josiah and anointed him and made him king in his father's stead. This is the place where Josiah died. Is that okay? Josiah was killed in the Battle of Megiddo. And that is very, very significant to us in our understanding of the Battle of Amargadon. Hallelujah. How many of you understand that primarily Josiah was a reformer? Is that okay? Are you there with me? I told him I'm going to be teaching and preaching. Josiah was a reformer. Now, this is a battle field where reformation is killed. Is that okay? All the spirits that are mustering their agents against Christ is so situated that proper reformation is not done in the body of Christ. That's the key reason for the battle of Armageddon. You I was killed in this place. Now, look at Zechariah 12. And I'm going to be giving you six points about the reasons of what the Battle of Amargadon is truly, truly all about. I'm trying to give you some background so that you can understand that there was a place called Megiddo, which is finally called Amargadon, and it was a city in the Canaanite territory allotted to Manasseh. And it was difficult for this city to be possessed. Amen? Are you there? Look at Zechariah 12. I'm reading from verse number 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. What does that mean? Grace and supplication? What is supplication? Prayers. Amen. God will give the spirit of grace and supplication. So that you can really see when you come to this dimension in God. You can really understand the mind of God. You can cry for what God really can cry for. And you can cry for the things you know you've done wrong before the Lord. The spirit of grace and supplication. Now watch this. And they shall look upon me, whom they have been. Who is talking now? Christ. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his husband. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem, as a mourning of what? had a dream in the valley of where? Of Megiddo. Can you see that? It's a place where men were really killed. Like I said, Reformation is dead to it in this particular valley. It's, it's, it's a terrible battle. It continues fighting. And any time this battle comes, people more there is a cry. Terrible weeping. And yet, prophetically, uh, uh, Zachariah was writing about the death of Jesus. And he said, what he's going to do is, by the time they hung Christ on the cross, He was going to open the eyes of the people, and they would really come to see that He crucified their own Savior. Do you understand that? Remember the Bible says, they killed the Savior without knowing that they were crucifying the Lord of glory. Remember that? Fine. Now, they could do that because they didn't know that Isaiah, and Zechariah were saying that when they are finished crucifying Him, I'm going to give them the spirit of grace and word and supplication. They will now get to know that the man they've crucified is Christ himself. And they will begin to cry. And they will begin to wail. Just like the wailing was in the valley of Megiddo. Is that okay? Now, that picture tells us how terrible the battle is. And how terrible souls were being slaughtered in this particular place. A situation that led the whole of Jerusalem into mourning. Because men were dying. Can you imagine somebody like Josiah? He was such a loving king. he's such a precious king to the people of the Israel. And then he was killed in this place. You can imagine the kind of willing that took place because of Josiah. Or because of the battle of what? On Magadon. Is that okay? Are you following what I'm talking about? Fine. So now that is the picture that the Spirit is giving unto us. So we come to a place in God in this particular place of Zachariah, we are now God will give the spirit of grace and supplication to these people and we say hey we have crucified the Lord of glory. But why they were doing it they never knew that. So sometimes the things you can't do is because you have not received grace from the Lord in that dimension. Are you listening? Praise the living God. So that's exactly what we find here. Now, so what does it really stands for? What does this battle of Armageddon really, really stands for? Let, let's begin to look at a few things. Number one. It's a long-lasting battle of the ages until the final age of God, Zoli Images. The battle of Armageddon is not coming tomorrow. It's already here. Are you there with me? It's a battle between, if I may use the word, evil forces and righteous spirits. It's a battle of the ages. It's a battle that will continue to be there until Christ finally triumphs. Until all enemies are placed under his feet. Because remember, they had to continue to contend for this city until finally it was possessed. Though God has given it already to them as a portion. Can you remember that? The portion of shared. Manasseh, was supposed to have this portion of land, and that is the city of Megiddo. And they will not give up. So it's a continuous battle. It is not just something of yesterday, not even something of tomorrow. This is a battle of the ages. So if anybody tells you, it's something that is coming tomorrow, you are just living in deception. The battle has always been there is between the forces of evil and light on the face of the earth is that okay is cain and abel the two seeds that came out of one man come on, is anybody hearing me one wants to have supremacy It just that battle that has always been on hallelujah number two It is about to possess the strongholds of the territory of ours in possession of the enemy. Now watch this. The city has already been given to man and said, but he can't possess it. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? There are things God has made available to you, but you find that there are some things you need to do to be able to enter into that which is already yours. The Bible says God has blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is nothing else He is intending to do. He has done it all. But you can enter into your possession, and you see yourself struggling to see how you can possess what is already yours. But somebody is holding it. Just like the land or the city was already given to Manasseh, but they were still in possession of the place. And Manasseh and his people have to keep fighting. Israel have to keep fighting. Zebura have to keep fighting. So that he can possess that city. And you following what I'm talking about now? So the battle of the Magidon is a battle that has to do with that, which is already yours, and yet you can enter into it. God given to you by God. given to you by God, prophesied. Men have laid hands on you. They have spoken things into your life, but this thing seems not to be coming. And you see your trouble right in the mind. You're struggling every day. Why is it not materializing? You are in a battle. Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you understand that the greatest battle anybody can ever fight on earth is a battle of the mind? Hallelujah. The greatest battle you can ever fight on earth is what? The battle of the mind. That's your greatest battle. Because you know what? God may be saying something to you, but your mind may be telling you not to do what God is saying to you. So sometimes you are torn between two worlds. Are you hearing this? Who do I obey? You are torn between two worlds. Decisions are difficult to make. Some of you have never come to critical decisions and say, "Which way to go?" That's the battle of a market taking place in your mind. Paul will say, "To live is gain; to die is gain; to be with Christ, but for the sake of living." Say, "I'm torn between two. I don't know what to do," and that's a terrible place to be. When decision making becomes difficult, the battle of a market on is only taking place in your life. Between wrong thoughts and good thoughts. Amen. <laughs> I will seek more of God, but let me tell you something. You've got all the powers to make changes. If you want to. See, when God created my things, you know every creature. God named all these beasts. Adam named one serpent, and serpent deceived him. So you can create your own deception. God simply said, "You're beasts. beast." He said, "Adam, you named them." And Another, this serpent. Serpent said, "Well, I'm going to act according to what you said." So who gave him the power? Come on now? Adam did. Was it not Adam the named is serpent? Because Adam named all the creatures. And so God simply said, this is a beast. And Adam said, you yeah, are separate. And say, said, yeah, I'm going to live according to what you said. <laughs> so you possess what you create. Did you hear that? That's a whole message on its own. Some of you need to rethink. That's what I'm talking about. The battle of the mind is the strongest force. Strongest battle you can ever fight upon the face of the earth. Because every wrong step you take in will pull you down. Every wrong decision taken today, you pay the price for it tomorrow. So it's the greatest battle that you can ever fight in your life. And any delay taking the right decision prolongs your mystery and sorrow. So you must finish it. But how do you come to the right place? That's the battle. Glory to God. (laughs) Number three. It is the repositioning of God's mind in the centrality of the world's political, economic, and religious spheres. The battle of Armageddon is to come to that place where how can God take possession of government? How can God's mind be made real in economic policies, in nations? How can God's mind be prevailing or made to prevail in religious circles? Longest battle upon the face of the earth. And so you talk about democracy, which is the government of the people, by the people, for the people, and that is minus God, because God is never mentioned. You see what I mean? Are you there with me? But how can we bring government, God's own true government, back to the system? Of rulership, how can we enthron him as the King of Kings as the greatest battle? Communism is resisting; democracy is resisting. Just name it. All manner of governance upon the face of the earth, they are resisting God's mind. Let me give you a simple illustration. For, for instance, you know, you find that in our own government or in our policies, in democratic principles, for instance. We have the prison yards. Amen? I get that with me. You steal, you go to prison. Am I correct? Good. I think that's a good thing. Am I right? It's a good thing. It's not a good thing. In God's own economy, it's not a good thing. Can I prove that to you? Listen to me. You see, when you steal from me and the government send you to prison, the government feeds you and clothes you there in prison with my tax money. I'm paying for you to be fed, yet you stole from me. But in God's own principle, if you steal from me, you pay seven times. You're not going to any prison. You've got to walk to pay back what you steal from me. So which one is correct? God's policy. Now we're talking about prison reforms. How can you reform prisons? When you still tax me, the Jews. I paid him money and somebody stole from me. They used my money to feed him, to give him clothes, to give him TV, to give him good bed. Yet you stole from me. So, what what, what what have you done? You can't give back what you stole from me. You kill my child, you go to prison. I pay to feed you. I'm talking of bringing God back to the system. If you steal something, and then we measure what you stole. If what you stole, you can't pay now. You got to work for me for a number of years, a number of months to pay back what you stole from me. You will never, never want to steal anymore. You find that in the book of Exodus. That's just a simple example that I have to give to you for you to understand what I'm saying. Now this is the battle. How can we bring God's mind back into governance? How can we bring him back into economic principles? People are crying that the economic wall is collapsing, American system is dying. How many of you understand that America in the truth sense, is a borrowing nation? Some of you don't know. They've been taking from the Asian nation, 0.2%, and they've been doing that for almost about 50 years, and the whole thing has accumulated, and they've got to pay back. And so the banking system everything is collapsing because the banking is not a productive system how many of you understand that you work in the bank bank does not produce They only circulate what comes in and america is not an agricultural system they just rotate money even they are a consuming nation because most of the vehicle produced there they are in different nations the parts are imported and they are assembled there how can they have money and so it's collapsing now you are crying the only thing you can do is not to do what they are doing, and then you survive. So, the economic principle of God is agriculture, if you will, herdsmanship. You understand that Abraham was a the herdsman. They had wells to feed their sheep and everything. God gave the line and said, Tear the ground. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Now, watch the system today. Like our state now, I saw some beautiful colored taxis driving around. They are very good. But all of those people employed there, they are just renting services, they are not productive. Because they still take from the government money to pay the drivers of these vehicles. Nothing comes into the system. The only money that comes into the system is 30% derivation. And then you take part of it to the bank and the bank keeps on circulating it and giving it to you. In the truth sense, think about it, in true economic policy, if I were to be an agriculturist, I can go to the bank to lend money. And if you give me a loan, you should give me about five years for me to begin to pay back. Why? Because I put the money into farming and you don't expect me to begin to harvest until five years and above. That is what the banks are supposed to do. But the banks are not doing that. So they give you a loan, they come back in the next day to collect double the interest. Because they are not rotating people's money. And so when the economy collapses, they say, hey, the world is ending. What well, is not ending is human failure in economic principles of management. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? So how do we bring God back? We have to think about people like the Josephs in Egypt. That when the money failed, they know what to do. Is that okay? Come on, am I talking to somebody? Goodness and mercy. <laughs> Are you hearing this? That's the point. That you talk about things like religion. No, we have so made everything so religious that become the strongest force upon the face of the earth. Whether you like it or not, every human being is a religious person. Is that okay? But how do we bring in true worship to people? This is the battle. So that you speak your own and say, "Well, this is the way God intends us to worship." Somebody has said, "No, that is not the way." How can we bring God back into the system of true worship? Political system, economic system and religious system. And the battle of the ages that will be fighting. People are like mighty Luther tried to do reformation but he ended with Lutherians and all of those people. They corrupted the system again. How can we bring God back? That's the battle of the ages. There's a true battle of imagination. Remember what we read before. He said the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet. Can you see that? Did you get that? These are the three realms. The beast, the dragon, and the first prophet. First prophet are a religious system. Is that okay? The beast, in the true sense, is the king's. But in another dimension, is the expression of satanic oppression. Let me explain this to you. What do you call the body of Christ? The church. The beast is a system of the dragon. That is to say, the dragon operates through the beast, just as the 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 Christ operates through the church. Can you get that? Now watch this. In the beginning, this thing called Satan was just one spirit and become a dragon. That means it multiplied. That means it increased. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? So one spirit multiplying through people and they're forming a system called the beast system and then being empowered by religious people. How many of you really understand that even apartheid in South Africa was properly sanctioned and empowered by the Dutch reformed church? So no government on the face of the earth can truly operate without the backing of the church. Most often it's a false church. That is how they get their powers. Is that okay? Because they took it from the Bible. And they said, oh, the Bible created a mighty man, created the beast, so the one that is black is the beast. So blacks are not supposed to live with white people. That's how they interpreted it in Genesis. That's what brought apartheid in South Africa. And it was sanctioned by the church. They use the same book, which is called the Bible, to segregate people that God has created in his image and likeness. So we are fighting a war against the dragon, against the beast, which is the system of the dragon. And the first prophet are empowering the system of the dragon. Hallelujah. Look at it. That's number three. Did you get that? So, those are the three things there. You find the dragon, you find the first prophet, and now you find what? The beast. Is that okay? Okay, okay. Now let's quickly move down to number four. It is a battle where reformation sought for to be destroyed. Or it sought for to be destroyed. I told you that this is the place where Josiah was killed. And Josiah carried the spirit of reformation. And so the battle of a are people who are warring and moving to see to it that reformation never takes place within the body of Christ. And it could be you. Now, Jesus said, just keep your garments. I am coming to bless you by implication. Don't bow down to oppression. Don't bow down to those who say reformation cannot take place within the body. That's what he's saying. Because they dragged on the beast and the false prophet and must the kings of the earth against Christ so that there will be no true reformation. And the perfect, matured body of Christ upon the face of the earth. That's the battle. That is where Josiah died. Amen. That's how reformers are killed. So, do you know what happened to Martin Luther? Do you know what happened to Martin Luther Geno King? All reformers are killed. This is the spirit of the battle of what? From Warring against reformers upon the face of the earth. If you carry the true spirit of reformation, so many people will never like you. So the Josiah's, the Martin Luther King Jr., they all died because they had the spirit of reformation. Amen. Are you following what I'm talking about? Even if you look at what happened in South Africa, how many years was Martin Luther incarcerated? What of Steve Biko? The young reformer, revolutionist in South Africa was killed for the student unionist, Steve Biko. Just name one hall after him now as a memorial. in the university campus there. Hmm? Reformers don't last. But their spirit goes on. You can't kill the spirit of reformation. You may kill the agent of reformation. Are you listening to me? That is the battle. So, the question is if they kill the reformer, who will pick up the spirit? When the king, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., arose, the same spirit transcended to somebody else to continue the work. The work is still continuing. So there are reformers being betted upon the face of the earth today, unknown to you. Because God is going to have a balanced and a perfect church, whether you like it or not. And that is the greatest battle we are fighting. So somebody is telling you, somebody is coming tomorrow. One battle is coming to happen tomorrow. Forget about that. We are already in the battle. And it is waging fiercely and very serious. We preach the things we preach. And people tell you, these things are not true. Why? They want to take from you. That which is given unto you. But Jesus said, take heed. Let that which is given unto everyone, take him from you. That is the battle you receive and somebody takes it. It is your right and somebody takes it. Glory to God. We are going to finish strong. I believe it. Some of you may not understand. Some of us, some of us carry a lot of weights, A lot. But God is helping. God is helping. See, when the prophet of God said, the burden of the Lord came on me, it's not something to be lightly spoken or taken. It's a realm where you literally say, well, is life still worth living? With what I'm seeing, with what I'm observing, how can I break through to cause the mind of God to prevail? It's a That is really a marketable. Men are waiting for somebody. You think Jesus is going to come one day with sword in his mouth and flying on a white horse? You know, just ride it. crooky, 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 You know how horses move? Have you watched your way before? <laughs> your way, cowboy. Eh? And Jesus is going to be coming like that. And the kings of the earth too will be coming with their horses. Hey man, you're talking about horses. Jesus is fighting with the horse. I mean, Jesus is far behind time because now we are using God in Can you see what they are trying to teach you? I mean, Jesus is not growing at all. <laughs> because now you can be somewhere and send the bomb somewhere. You can say your squad miseries miles apart. We are talking about horses now. But in religious cycle, Jesus, their own Jesus is still riding a horse. How many of you understand that now they are building kind of samples of, of residence in the moon? Have you heard that? And people are going to go there to stay. There is a the amount of millions you pay They fly you there to take holidays. And Jesus is still riding on horses. Oh, that Jesus is an old man with an old thinking, an old mentality. The scientists have gone beyond the level of the thinking of their own. Jesus, are you hearing this? Horse speaks of power. White speaks of victory. So when you see a white horse, you're talking of a righteous, victorious thing. So Jesus riding on the white horse in the book of Revelation means he's conquering and he's a victor. Are you hearing this? The picture was that in the Roman times, when people go to war and they're coming back and they won the battle, the king will sit on a white horse and so many others will be following. And people will line the street and they'll be clapping and hailing the king because of his victory from battle. So they were painting a picture of what was happening in those days. That is not how Jesus is living today. You are flying planes, Jesus, using horses. Be careful, eh? <laughs> how you mess up my father with your thinking. You know, it's a terrible way of thinking. Men are flying, jets, planes, speed. and you talking about Jesus riding horses to battle? Hey, man. These kings of this earth will not need to bother about Jesus at all. Before he comes with his horse, they will send their god missiles. They are not leaving their homes to come to the valley of Megiddo. But they are not coming. Because they already have the weapons there. You see how foolish we can be in religious things. May God deliver his people. And they say with his sword in his mouth. He's using sword. Eh? You see, using sword. Jesus is using sword. Hey, that's serious. People don't understand that the sword simply means the word of God. Hmm? They just don't understand that. The word of God sharper than any two-edged sword. And with that, Jesus is doing battle. That's why he slay the beast with the breath of his mouth. And the brightness of his coming. Hallelujah. Now let's move on. One number giving to you number four, is it? Trying to destroy reformers. Number five. It is a mindset that will not allow a shift in thought as defined by man or religion. Then this is the way it is. You say, no, God is saying, no, 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 I told you this. But, right? When is the way you were sharing? How many of you understand? In Matthew chapter eight. Hmm? Jesus was walking through. Now, the Bible said there were two demons that would not allow any man to pass through that road. Matthew chapter 8. And Jesus was walking there. And the demons saw him and said, Hey, thou son of man, have you come to destroy us when it is not yet time? That means the demons understand the seasons of God. But the church do not do what? Understand. Demons know that there are times for everything. And they know that there are times for them to be destroyed. And they say, man, you're just coming. You are too fast. The time is not yet. They were preaching to Jesus. Because they know the time and the seasons in God's head. But the church doesn't understand that. And so when you tell the religious man that God has shifted, they say, no, this is what our great-great-grandfather gave to us. The battle is on. So to you, you are a rebel. Is that okay? And the next thing they do is to get into a meeting and say, send him out of the church. He can no longer be part of us. And so some of people, you don't blame them. Just put on somebody there who saw one more we coming from Lagos the other time. He said, hey, how can people be messing up Jesus Christ? Look at that somebody. Oh, I can't, can't remember the name of the somebody. I said, there's nothing wrong. It's where two or three are gathered together. That gives you a church. <laughs> but that's what the Lord said. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. There are I, there am I. So no problem. It can be for good or it can be for evil intention. <laughs> but it's still where two or three are gathered together. There am I in their midst. So the victory tree of Jesus Christ, glory church, fine, whatever name, it's okay. It is still where two or three are gathered together. Am I talking to somebody here? What am I trying to say? Religion, we know how to make a shift. The developing mindset. It becomes a stronghold. When you tell them, this is not what God is saying now, they say, no, 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 no. This is the way it has always been. And so shall it be world without end. See you. Amen. War without end. We can't shift. No, but you see how confusing that can be. We say that in catechism, War without end, and we say the world is ending very soon. What a confusion of tongues, man. You just prayed now, War without end. And now you are preaching, you say the world is just ending. You see what happened in America, the world is ending. But you said, War without end. It tells you how that the church doesn't think. Hallelujah number six it was fought in a valley this battle was fought in a valley and what does that mean this is the inability to overcome the valley mentality to rise into the place where god has crafted us for in creation and to become the light of the world a city said on a hill they won't allow you to come out the battle is always in the valley it's a low realm. It's a depressive state. It's a state of despair and confusion. It's a state where something keeps telling you you can't come out of this. Life is worth nothing. Accept the status quo that you are now in, that you just can't become anything better. But somebody is telling come up here Dad. You say no, I'm not ready. Something is saying stay here. The battle of a marketer taking place in your life. Every one of you is experiencing it every day. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? The place of the valley mentality. You just accept the situation and you say there is no shifting from this place. Somebody said, Come up, Peter. The spirit said, Come up, Peter. Say, I can't come, sir. The strength to go up is not even the evening. If somebody wants to give you the strength, you won't accept it. A valley mentality. That's where the battle is fought. The valley of negative. A lot of you are going through that. To make change is difficult for you. To arise is a difficult thing. But if you don't arise, you can't rule. It's only those who arise that rule. Are you hearing this? The book of God said, there arose another king. There arose another king. There arose another king. It's only those who rise that rules. As long as you feel the position you are occupying is the best, you are in the valley. The battle continues. You can't possess the territory God has given to you. Don't forget. Megiddo was a Canaanite city given to Manasseh. And they have to fight to be able to do what? To possess it. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? But one good thing I want to make you understand is that we are going to get to the top of the mountain. Because we are a city set upon the hill. We are a light. Are you hearing this? Men are going to see you and see the glory of God. You are not dying in the valley. I refuse that for you. Circumstances around you may not be speaking favorably, but you are not dying there. <laughs> there is something within that keeps telling you, Arise! And anytime you hear that voice, don't sit down. Just move. Because that is the prompting of the Lord for you to take possession. Because God works in seasons and in times. It may be your season. Don't miss it. Are you done with me? Number seven. This is simply the spirit lost after the flesh and the flesh after the spirit. The battle of Armageddon is within us. The Bible says in the book of Galatians say the spirit is lost after the flesh and the flesh after the spirit. So it's a continual battle with the We are torn between two. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. The rulers, the dominions, the authority within are struggling and fighting to take control of our lives. But Christ is also saying, I need to get you possessed. Give me your land. Let me possess you. But it's difficult to make this decision That's a battle of a lives. Listen to me. Every human being on the earth is fighting the battle, whether you are a believer or you are not a believer. Unless you are not making decisions, but as long as you are there to make decisions as long as you are there and you have your mind as a human being you are also facing the battle of God of the market it's there doing right paul says it's difficult for me but the evil that i don't want to do that i find myself doing so i'm confused say who will deliver me from this wretched body say thank god for jesus christ that's the conclusion it didn't end there are you are you hearing what i'm talking about so with my flesh, let me serve sin if that is the case. But with my inner man, I will serve Christ. So because the good that I want to do, I can do it. The evil that I don't want to do, that is what I am doing. Then if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, it's no longer me doing it, but it's evil that dwelleth in me. Say, But who shall deliver me from this wretched body of mine? Say, Thank God for Jesus Christ. So don't tell me you're too spiritual. That you are not passing through this battle. you have not attained to anything that apostle Paul was, am I talking to somebody here? It's the battle. We are on a battlefield. And the war is raging hotter and stronger every day of our life. Listen to me. Anytime you attempt to ascend to any place in glory, it becomes tougher. Anytime God shows you something, that you are just about possessing, it becomes stronger. That's why is a battle of the ages until finally all enemies shall be brought under it It's not ending, and Magdon is already there, and it will continue to be there. For further information and in message order, please call plus two three four eight zero three four eight. 10869 or you can visit our website at www.gkai.net God bless you